Kicking and Streaming Podcast is brought to you by Cafe 1804. Premium Haitian coffee now available online at cafe1804.com. That's cafe, K-A-F-E, 1804.com. This is Kicking and Streaming Podcast, a binge watcher's guide to streaming movies, TV series, and stuff. Here are your hosts, Graham and Jocelyn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Kicking and Streaming Podcast. My name is Graham, and with me today is the absolutely fantastic Jojo. Hello, Jojo. Hello, Graham. How are you? <laughs> Jojo, we are doing absolutely fine. This has been slightly a better week than last week. We had a short week, if you want to call it a short week, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Someone described it as the longest short week ever. And I kind of like that. <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a good description, because, yeah... It, felt like it was about eight days long even though it wasn't so it was kind of weird <laughs> <laughs> but here we are today on a saturday today is actually the day that we record this podcast is september 11th yes and so we are it, it, it's a day of remembrance isn't it in our recent history it's a day that we live in infamy there are commemorations going on all over the country and wherever you are in the world you must remember this day even though it it happened only in the united states but over the years it has affected pretty much our way of life and um and it, it has changed the way we approach things and the way we even live our own lives isn't it jojo yeah yeah It's very, very true. The repercussions of the events of that day have affected so many people in this country, but, you know, in other countries as well, trying to enter this country. It's just a lot of things changed in just a very short amount of time. Absolutely. And on a somber day like this, on, on the day that we remember these tragic events It is also apropos that we are reviewing a movie that deals with the aftermath of 9-11. And the movie we are talking about is currently on Netflix and is called Worth. Yes. So this is the movie we are going to talk about today. And we are going to dissect it a bit. And um, hopefully, if you have been affected by 9-11 in some way, it's not necessarily a trigger but i think 20 years later part of the healing is that we go back and and reminisce about some of the events the way our lives have changed and how nothing is ever going to be the same isn't it yeah yeah so jojo let's talk about worth this movie stars michael keaton Uh, who, by the way, is like the, what is it that they say about old wine? Is this guy, like, seriously, I, I never took Michael Keaton more seriously than 
now that he's an older actor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I think maybe our generation tends to think of him more as, as Batman and, and I don't know, Beetlejuice and a few other things. But when we see him in a very serious role at times, it's kind of hard to be like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but when I saw him in Birdman, I was really blown away by his performance in that. And that kind of made me understand and appreciate that, hey, this guy, this guy is a good actor. And that's not to say that he wasn't great in, in his quote unquote less serious roles. It's just interesting to see him playing something so, so deep and so, I guess, insightful or impactful is, is the way to put it. So, so yeah, so it, He's, uh, it, it, I think it takes folks of us, uh, our generation, probably a second to reset and take him seriously. But I think once we do, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Yes. I, I spent the entire movie marveling at, at all of his abilities. And again, I think you're right. I think the movie that sort of like presented Michael Keaton in a completely different light for all of us, our generation, people who are in their 40s right now, who in the 90s we were coming of age and remembering him as, you know, the dude who played Batman and Beetlejuice, as you said. We are now starting to appreciate, or got, we have gotten to appreciate the great actor that he was, he is. And sometimes it's almost in, a, in, in disbelief, like, whoa, so... Why did this guy ever play this character? <laughs> <You know> <laughs> Why didn't he do this before? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so let's talk about worth a bit, Jojo. And when I was watching this movie, I always thought about the task of describing this movie to people in a way that it will make you want to watch it. Because if... I were given the task of describing this movie, I probably would be turning people away from it. If you consider that English is not my first language, and second, it, it, it's a movie that is very hard to describe because the character that is at the center of everything, which is a character that Michael Keaton plays, is not necessarily the most likable individual, but in the end, he ends up doing the most heroic thing of all. So, uh, I've said this before, I'm glad that since the inception of this podcast, we've always assumed that the responsibility of making, <laughs> of making things make sense falls onto you. So... <laughs> once again let's oh, do it <laughs> no pressure <laughs> and you know lord only knows how good a job i've ever done of it before but i'll try this time too <laughs> so worth is a film about a fund that was set up very quickly after 9-11 and it was for it was a compensation fund for the victims families the government decided to do this so that the thousands of lawsuits wouldn't essentially crater the economy. So this movie is about that fund and the special master that was appointed over that fund, whose name was Kenneth Feinberg. 
And Kenneth Feinberg was and is an attorney of some distinction and education. And this story, this movie is about the the way the funds are dispersed, but also about the, I think you could almost call it sea change of realization and character of one man in government. And to me, this movie is demonstrates that very well. And also the story of Ken Feinberg is one that is so fascinating because not only do we very rarely in just everyday life find someone who will admit, will admit that they're wrong and then change, to find a government official, a special master, someone who's been given more power than anyone in the history of government before over money, to admit that he was wrong in the beginning and change the way he was doing things to an actual way with feeling and empathy and worth uh, is a story worth telling and a story worth watching. So I, I was happy that they made a movie about Kenneth Feinberg because I've always found him fascinating uh, ever since about 2003 when I first saw a 60 Minutes new segment on him. So this movie is a movie about, I I think about that, about the fact that people can change and there is a possibility for redemption. And it's a beautiful thing. It is indeed a beautiful thing, Jojo. I, like I said, no one could have put it in better words than you. And I'm I'm glad that we have you because... We we can talk about the depiction of Kenneth Feinberg in the brilliant work of Michael Keaton. But also we have to take into account that Kenneth Feinberg is a living person. And when history is written, it's been only 20 years since, but when history is written, Kenneth Feinberg is going to occupy a place that, as of yet, he uh, has been given the credit and perhaps this movie does justice to to his work but he he needs to be given the credit because as you said he is someone who by admitting that even given the power that he he, he was given by congress he was still wrong and yeah. that needed to to change not later not 10 years later not come out and write a book and say, I was wrong, but rather, this is the time to make those changes now. And this is the time to, to, to make sure that, that history is at least on the right side today. Yeah. And <laughs> this movie deals with a, lot of, with a lot of philosophical questions that we, can, we, we would never pin on the 9-11 attacks. But one that comes to mind for me is the worth paradigm. There are two elements. There are two proposals, if you will, of the worth paradigm. And it is, what does a human life worth in legal terms? And what does a human life worth in simple economical black market worth. And in the worth paradigm, if you compare a piece of, a two-carat piece of rare diamond with a human life, 
Human life is worth absolutely nothing in comparison to that, <laughs> right? Right. So in that respect, l- legally, a human being is worth about $360,000. It sounds shit. It sounds, it sounds crazy to even talk about it in those terms. But w- when you talk about the other paradigm, which is the black market, the organ trafficking part of it, a human being based on vital organs that are transferable to another human being, that's about $2.5 million. Again, that is if they are able to take it from you and put it in someone else. And that means everything in you that is usable. But let's not forget that there are pieces of diamonds that are so much more expensive than that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the worth paradigm yeah. is basically what establishes that human beings are shit. In comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're talking about mater- solely material things, uh, a human being will never be worth, you know, a, a, a diamond, a ruby, uh, so many things. I mean, for our true crime fans out there, you know that regularly people will kill other people for $1,500, $2,000, a pay right. off in a car, and I'll kill this person for you. And that's, that's you know, that's the person's life. Or someone will be killed for their life insurance policy, which is $100,000 or whatever. So, I mean, now I know to ask for $360,000 and the next time somebody asks me to, to offer somebody for him. So I, 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 at least I know, you know, how to, how to price myself, but no, I, I, again, solely legally and materialistically, we're, we're not worth much at all. A damn thing. Yeah, exactly. So this is what, 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 if you would, uh, Ken Feinberg was faced with in the sense that he is a guy who is approaching all of this from the perspective of what does a human life worth? Yes. Now, the government's purpose was a completely different one in that what we don't want is for the economy to completely crash. And we know that this is about to happen because, hey, they're going to come after the airlines, right? If the economy tanks, then we lose and the people who are on the other side of the loss, also we lose. So it's easy to tell ourselves that let's do this for the people who have suffered already the tremendous loss, even though in the end what we're trying to do is to prevent those people to go after the airline industry. Isn't it, Jojo? Yes. Yes. And the fact that... And, you know, as all the financiers said that in the end, they probably wouldn't have won. The families wouldn't have won and it would have essentially cratered the economy and these people would have lost anything that they had anyway and not gained anything. So honestly, a a tragedy all the way around and um, maybe travesty is a better word, but so, yes, the government put this fund in for definitely selfish selfish purposes, you can say. I guess maybe the way to, to do it, think about it, is for the greater good. 
But I do think that Kenneth Feinberg, when he became special master, when he went after this job and he wanted this job and nobody else wanted it, I do believe that he wanted it to try to do the right thing, that he felt that he was someone that would be able, he did have a smaller scale experience in these kinds of cases. And by smaller scale, I mean, in the sense of not the huge impact that that 9-11 had in terms of what happened in a very short amount of time with the human, with the American psyche. But I do believe that when he did that, he was genuinely trying to do the right thing. And I don't think that he ever wanted this job for quote unquote glory or recognition. I do think that he was doing it because he, he wanted to do what he could for his country. Yeah. I think, on the other hand, that Kenneth Feinberg was a man of logic. Yes. And to a certain extent, he was so pragmatic that he forgot that grief has no logic. Yes. That grief has no pragmatism. That grief is raw emotion in that it takes a long time to get over grief. And so it's easy to look at the character of of, of Ken Feinberg and think this guy has literally taken his hide. But if you analyze the situation a bit more, you will understand that no, he wasn't. He 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 was he was just being robotic, maybe. Like he he was a guy who was trying to see the numbers to the best of his ability. Yeah. And I, I'm going to say something that's crazy here, but I actually sympathize a lot with this character because I'm logical to a fault. That's one of, one of my biggest faults is that for me, when the job needs to be done, when the task is at hand, I try to remove all emotions out of it and I do the job to to the best of my ability. And by removing emotions out of it, I make sure that it is done and it, it, it is something that talks about my reputation and nothing else matters. And I think that was that was what Ken Feinberg attempted to accomplish here is that we will do something where everyone wins except that he wasn't able to see that none of it would mean that the the families who lost loved ones were winning anything. Which is why I think he stayed away from, you know, getting into the interviews and things like that. Yeah. You know, but like the interviews is what sort of brought to the forefront what was at stake here. Because the notion that the idea that a lot of people simply didn't want anything, but something more than than remuneration, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I um, I think that he felt that it seemed as though he felt that he had to keep himself separate from the emotion and the the very high emotions that were going on at the time. And the only way to do that was not to take part in the, at first, not to take part in the 
the interviews of the the survivors and the the family members that were left behind. But I think that his staff helped him understand his staff and also some meetings with people helped him understand that this was different than those cases that he had worked before, that those had been at rest for a while, if you will. And this was something that had just happened a few months ago. And these people are still processing the fact that they're never going to see their loved one again. And you're shoving papers in their face and saying, sign here. And this is how much your husband was worth. And this is how much your wife was worth. And I think that Stanley Tucci put in a beautiful performance is the uh, the character whose name has gone out of my my head. Wolf. But, Mr. Wolf. Wolf. Yes. Charles Wolf. Yes. Charles Charles Wolf. I shouldn't call him a character. He's a real person. Charles Worth, who was running the website called Fix the Fund, I think he really when Stanley Tucci delivered the line, everything about this formula is offensive to me. I felt all of that. The, the, there was, he did it so perfectly. He delivered the line so perfectly. It could have been dramatic and over the top and he could have been screaming it and everything, but it was just the bare facts of my wife died in the North tower and everything about this formula is offensive to me. I thought was a beautiful way of showing those of us on the outside how these folks felt and how we would feel if someone handed us a formula and said, this is how much your son was worth. This is how much your daughter was worth. And so I, the fact that, that Charles was able to go from being such a harsh and worth it. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it should have been. He was very critical of Kenneth Feinberg and the job he was doing managing the fund. And I think it speaks volumes that he was able to change his mind about that and say actually at the end that he trusted Ken Feinberg. Shows truly that this man did change and he did understand. And again, like I said, it's, it's so rare in life, but especially in government, for someone to realize that what they're doing is wrong and then go ahead and try to fix it. From that moment on, we're going to make it better. I'm going to fix what I've done wrong. And I think that that's just, he's, he's a very fascinating individual in the fact that he was able to do that and a, a rare, a rare person indeed. So I've, uh, I've always found him very, very interesting because I, I know that he went from, from the the few 60-minute segments I've seen, and there's a documentary that, uh, as well about him, that he went from essentially the most hated man in America among this group, the special compensation group, to one of the most beloved. That just doesn't happen, <laughs> especially not from the people who have lost everything, essentially. They've lost everything. And it's not like, you know, he did it by, by becoming Santa Claus or Father Christmas or, you know, the, the Easter Bunny or the Tooth Fairy or whatever. You know, he didn't he didn't magically make everything better for these people. He was just able to make things as 
fair as they could be. He, he, nobody was happy at the end of this, right? Nobody was thrilled and jumping up and down from joy that, oh, hooray, my loved one's dead and I've got $10 million or whatever. It was, it was in the sense of, I understand that you've done what you were able to do and that you, you made this as right as you possibly could make it within the parameters of, of your allowance. Yeah, Georgia, you've basically touched on, on on the two most important characters here. And it, it is because of the character of Charles Wolf, or because of Charles Wolf, that I, I think the reaction that Charles Wolf got out of out of Mr. Feinberg is the way that I approach conflict from the point of view, from the standpoint of Mr. Feinberg is because, you know, I, you know this. I work with people that are hurting, right? I I work with patients all day, and one of the hardest things to deal with, as the point of view of a patient advocate or somebody who is on the other side of the counter, is when people take it all out on you, all out mm-hmm. on you, and completely forget that you are trying to help. And it becomes the, f- the whole biting the hand that is helping you. And from my point of view, I have to understand that, but it is hard to accept because, motherfucker, I am trying to help you. <laughs> right. Do you know right. what I mean? Like, right. stop shooting the messenger because I am trying to help you. Yes. Tell me how I can make it better, but stop trying to bite my hand. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and people tend to just grow spikes and just go after anybody they can get their hands on. And the first intervention of Charles Wolf is exactly that. Like, look, man, let's stop going after this guy. We have to remember that he is here doing a job and he's the messenger. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and, and even when, when Feinberg told him, like, thanks for the help, he's like, yeah, I, I am a fan of civility. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. I still think you're doing a shit job, but you have been placed in a situation that you're, you're not at fault. You know? Yeah. And I love that. I absolutely love that. And I think the the interaction with him, the fact that he came into the picture, made a difference in the way that Feinberg approached this entire situation. There are other mitigation mitigating facts here, right? Um, you have the firefighter's wife and the family. Um, what was it? Their name? Um, yeah, I don't remember. Donato. Donato, yes. Right. I think that also was a big, that created a big, a big turning point for Ken Feinberg. But here's the thing. What I find important here in this situation is also the way we approach heroism. I remember watching a talk by Dr. Michael Eric Dyson about Martin Luther King. 
And Michael Eric Dyson talked about how he was basically kicked out of the cookout from black people because he talked about Dr. King in the most human way possible. He talked about some of Dr. King's shortcomings, how Dr. King actually liked women and was unfaithful to Corita, <laughs> to Corita Scott King. And that how some of the speeches that he is most famous for weren't actually things that he wrote, but rather he plucked out of other people's just improvisations. Obviously, he delivered them better than anyone could, but he didn't come up with some of that thing. And black people went crazy. <laughs> you know, like, how dare you? And it is because once somebody's dead, the way we see them is a... Uh, we almost want to canonize them because whatever heroic thing they did, that placed them in a pedestal as if they never were human beings before. Right. And I think that was the case here with Nick Donato, is that both the wife and the brother knew that he was imperfect. He was a fucking human being. Of course he was imperfect. But he died a hero. Yeah. So... If you won't speak ill of the dead, you won't speak ill of the hero. And I think one of the things that this movie shows is that all of it is bullshit. Because being a hero has nothing to do with being perfect. Being a hero has nothing to do with the shortcomings of real life. That the notion that at the moment of your death you did something or you died doing something that was worth everything you ever lived for does not take away from the fact that you were an imperfect human being. Right. Simple right. as that. Right. And this, I think, to me, that is a, a lesson in this movie that is very subtle, but everybody should take a look at because that is what we tend to do with our loved ones, is that we want to present them, once they're dead, we want to present them as though they walk this earth with a brilliant aura. Some assholes can be heroes. It's true. Simple as that. It's true. It's true. And becoming a hero doesn't make you magically not an asshole. Yeah. So, you know, there are people who have done terrible things, maybe in their private or personal life or questionable things. And, but if their overarching purpose was to create good things to happen, then, you know, what human beings are complicated is basically what I'm trying to say yeah. is that we're, we're very, very complicated things. And, you know, we do have the tendency after somebody dies to only remember the good things about them or only want to remember the good things about them. And we do 
have the tendency to not want to speak ill of the dead, which I I actually never understood personally. I, I, I think some of it may come from superstition or whatever, but I'm like, you know, if if somebody dies and they were an asshole to me before they died and all I ever saw was assholery, then I'm not going to be like, that's oh. it. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're still an asshole. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sorry for your family that you're dead and I'm sure that people loved you, but at the same time, I'm not going to be like, oh, what a wonderful person. I'm like, this. Okay. No, no. That motherfucker you know, was an asshole. I yeah, it, right. Exactly. So I just, I personally don't understand that. But for those who, who do feel that way, um, I think that we all should maybe try to pull that out and examine it and and see what we have that based in. Is that based in any sort of, of reality or anything factual or, or what? Why why do we feel that way? But yeah. so in the case of Ken Feinberg, you know, after he dies, he is 75 now. You know, I'm sure that people will dig things out of the closet about him and things that he's done. And he's obviously mishandled a few things. But I think if you look at his overreaching history and his legacy, I think that he's he's going to have a good a good legacy. Um, but. I do think that, again, human beings are complicated, and if we, if we, uh, we can be one thing in our, our private lives and another thing in our public lives. I mean, you could also say too. I mean, he he worked this case pro bono. He's worked quite a few cases pro bono. He worked this case for thirty three months. And was working over 18-hour days, and uh, the price that his family had to pay for that yeah. is something to consider, too. You know, the, the, the cost to his children and his wife, um, how does that get tabulated? Yeah, let's go ahead and talk a bit about the cast, because everything about this cast is beautiful. It, it was probably one of the most carefully cast movies I've ever seen. Everybody is, everybody sort of like had an incredible respect for the roles that they played. And I'm grateful for that. What do you think, Jojo? I, I agree with you. I think everyone was, was very respectful and very understanding of the importance of, of what they were doing what they were talking about. I I do have, I don't know what to call it, a, a question, maybe a quibble. Uh, I don't know. But, you know, Kenneth Feinberg is, is Jewish and Michael Keaton is uh, very Catholic, uh, right. Irish background, a Scottish background. And I, 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 I don't know. I, I just felt as, as, as great a performance as Michael Keaton does put in in this movie, I, I just kind of have a question as to why someone Jewish wasn't cast for the role. I think the simple answer to that is the fact that Michael Keaton was one of the, produ- one of the producers. It's um, true, he was. I mean, his money was in there, so he wanted probably to play the role. And again, as you said, he did a fantastic job. Yeah, he did a he very did. dignified representation, 
portrayal of Ken Feinberg. He did. But that is a legitimate question to ask, isn't it? I mean, why wouldn't you cast someone who is Jewish? You know, there are a number of... And I think the same goes for Charles Wolfe. I'm not entirely sure that, that, you know, about in terms of background and religion, but I can presume that Charles Wolfe was Jewish too. And, but Stanley Tucci did an absolutely fantastic job in that representation, although Charles Wolfe was not a public figure enough for us to know more of him. But again, these are legitimate questions to ask. I, I absolutely agree with that. So yeah, we have Michael Keaton playing Ken Feinberg, Stanley Tucci playing Charles Wolfe, and Amy Ryan, who plays Camille Byros. Uh, to a certain extent, it feels like Amy Ryan, Camille Byros was sort of like the screaming conscience behind Ken Feinberg, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think Amy Ryan put in a, a beautiful performance as as this lady. I, I keep wanting to say character, but this was a real person. I think that she brought a lot of humanity and understanding to the part and a lot of, it's a very understated performance. And I, I did read some people who were sort of complaining about Oh, people were so stiff and awkward and, and, but I never felt in the sense of poor acting. I thought everyone did a lovely job in acting. I thought that it was a very grand portrayal of how we all feel when somebody that we don't know at all is sitting across from us bawling. And we also at the same time have to be sort of a, a neutral party in the sense of that they were attorneys and they, you know, they can't be 100% sympathetic to this person. No. They can't reach across the desk and give them a big hug or that kind of thing because they have to be sort of a disinterested party. But at the same time, of course, we're human beings. And so I, 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 I think that the entire cast did a wonderful job of portraying the fact that my heart is breaking for you, but there's literally nothing I can do for you other than sit here and listen. Yeah, I mean, again, there's always going to be people who, I think the biggest problem in the way that the public view everything is oversimplification, right? This is what I would have done if it were me, mm -hmm. right? But nobody seemed to understand that there are some boundaries, here in as a lawyer representing another side, regardless of how much of a human portrayal you're giving me, I have to stay neutral. Mm -hmm. And I can be sympathetic to what you're feeling, to the way you are reacting to certain things. But sometimes I have to hide those emotions because I have to be a, prof a professional in that moment. So whatever people had to say, it's Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. But, but so I, I just, I think that, that she did a great job, especially with um, the, the partner um, of the man. They, 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 they had not been able to, to legalize their union. Yeah. And uh, I thought that that was a very 
it's very sad the way it turned out, but also it was a, a good end cap that they didn't leave us hanging with what happened to him and the case and the fact that because of him, they were able to open the fund up to others, not to him, unfortunately, but they were able to get the fund opened to other domestic partners. So I, I did think that that was, it was a lovely piece that they included in the movie. And I thought that, that she handled it very well in, in her acting, um, that it certainly wasn't overacted and it, but it was very compelling. Amy Ryan. Yes. Yes. Somebody who really got my attention is Shunori Ramanathan as yes. Priya Kundi. I am not entirely familiar with this actress. She's been in a lot of things. She was on The Big Seek. Um, she was on the movie Monuments, uh, Jonathan, and of course, Worth. But yeah, I'm not madly familiar with her. Like, but I think this was a very, very nice portrayal of a character who was had experienced a priori into what happened there and could identify, could have a bit more empathy towards the victims and found herself in a very awkward position, even. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, Excellent dude. job. Yeah, she was, she was brilliant. Yes. And, of course, Laura Benanti as Karen Donato. And, you know, Take Donovan is one of, like, I don't, I cannot count on my fingers how many times I've seen Take Donovan playing the douchey lawyer. <laughs> Holy shit, he's good at that. He really is. Holy he really, God. really is. He's good at that. <laughs> very, very good at it. But he was fantastic. And of course, everybody else in every in the portrayal of the family of the victims' families were absolutely great. Yeah. So fantastic little movie. It's still a sad movie because it deals with the worth of human life in a in an incredibly pragmatic way that might be a bit hard to swallow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But I think I think the way the story was told, what we have learned from the three sixty change of heart, if you will, from uh, Ken Feinberg also makes it a story about redemption, isn't it? Yeah. So, stars? <laughs> I think um, three and three quarters for this one. You've been very generous lately. <laughs> I ain't even going to talk you out of this one. <laughs> I'm getting to be a softie in my old age. I know, Jojo. What is, how dare you? <laughs> very well then. So, three and three quarters of a star for uh, Jojo. And I second that. This might be the moment to tell you that, you know, we are on social media. You can search for us and you will find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, 
and um, some other places where I've had. I know. We're everywhere. Yeah. Mentioning. <laughs> On Twitter, you will find me as Mr. Puchetta. That's M R P U Z Z E T T A. And the same for Instagram. You can also find us on Clubhouse. Every Wednesday, we have a talk about movies and TV series. Very important one. And it's just little talk. It's not a podcast or anything. This is not just us talking. It's you telling us what you think on whatever the topic might be. And also on Saturdays, we have a raging and absolute fantastic trivia night. And that is on Clubhouse. So remember, you don't need to have an iPhone to join Clubhouse. Clubhouse is available for both iOS and Android. The other thing to tell you is that you can visit our website, kickinandstreamingpodcast.com, to leave a review. Well, you can also leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. We will take it. Right, Jojo? That's right. Cool. <laughs> Lastly, I don't think I have anything else to say. <laughs> right. So next week, what we are going to do is we would like to invite you to join us. We are having a watch party for the Emmy Awards. Yes. We're going to be live, live, live on yes. Twitch and on YouTube. We're going to have a watch party on YouTube, on Twitch for the Emmy Awards. And then, of course, the next day we'll come back and tell you what we thought about the winners and who should have won and didn't win. But for now, for me and for the Jojo, we are going to call it a day. Hello. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Kicking and Streaming Podcast. If you found value in our content, please subscribe and share. We would also be delighted to hear what you think of this podcast. So please rate us by writing a quick review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on all major social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Pinterest. Join the conversation happening today on our Facebook group. <laughs>